How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. We are two for the price of one this week. Joining us on the program this week are the two founders of the DeNovo Agency, an organization that partners with independent musicians to assist them in finding more business opportunities by utilizing data-driven marketing. DeNovo is also launching Songflower, a music distribution service for artists that features a simplified payment structure. You can find out more about their work by visiting www.denovoagency.com and www.instagram.com slash songflower, and that is songflower with no E. We are happy to welcome James Landry and Elliot Towsley onto the Break the Business podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Well, I think James broke out right at the very inopportune time, but this is Elliot, and I'm happy to be here. Hey, Elliot. Uh, good to hear from you, and I'm sure we'll get James back real soon. Uh, but I- I'm excited to talk to you guys because we've been on a data kick lately here on the Break the Business podcast. Just last week, we spoke with a representative from Chartmetric who was talking about how data is really becoming the most valuable currency in the music industry. And the more that artists can understand data, interpret data, and benefit from data, the more they can move their careers forward. So I'm glad you guys seem to understand the importance of data and make it a big part of your work. Can you talk a bit about how DeNovo uses data to create business opportunities for your indie music clients? Absolutely. Um, I always say that data is like a tool um, and it doesn't inherently have any value just like a tool until you pick it up to try to do something with it. So every client has a different batch of data and every client has a different particular goal. So our job is to provide access to some audiences on Spotify that just inherently create data. Spotify will track the age, the location, who else they're listening to, those kinds of things per artist. And then what we do is help an artist take that data and use it to identify business opportunities and then use that, lever- uh, use that data as a tool to get leverage to close the deal for those opportunities. So you're saying data is a tool. So it's not just, it's not something that's inherently value on its own. What matters is selecting the right data and interpreting it the right way to achieve goals for your artists. So let's talk about wrong data. Is, is there data that artists can look at that's perhaps overrated? That's data that you don't see as being particularly valuable for helping artists move their careers forward and that there's perhaps other data that they should be looking at? Yeah, so I always tell artists to be weary of the streaming number and not focus on just that streaming number going up on their songs. This is data nonetheless, but all that really is is can be an inflated number. It can be based off of fake plays, streams, fake followers, stuff like that. What we always encourage is looking at the total picture. So how many we're looking at ratios, how many saves do you get to monthly listeners? How many followers did you get to monthly listeners? How many playlist placements did you go on Discover Weekly or On Repeat or Release Radar? Because these numbers are more valuable than just saying, my my song has 20,000 streams. Uh, That makes a lot of sense. And I I can tell you with a lot of the artists that I know and I work with, there's a, a, a temptation to sort of gravitate towards the ego boosting numbers, the, the number, you know, your, your Facebook followers, your streams, you know, you like to see those numbers nice and big because it makes you feel good. But if you don't get those numbers the right way, because maybe you're getting fake followers or fake streams, or 
you know, it's not coupled with some of those ratios you talked about, then the only thing that it's boosting is your own ego, but it's not actually moving your career forward. So I'm glad that you identified that. Uh, I want to hear a bit about how you guys uh, use data on a day-to-day level. Can you tell me, uh, either one of you, about a success story that you had with one of your artists where you use data to move their career forward? Sure. Um, Mainly, we analyze data to do two things. Um, mostly the clients that we work with are independent artists who are just now crossing over that point from fun music hobby into profitable music business or aspiring to be profitable. And it's changed from like a fun hobby to, Hey, how can I make some money with this? And we're big on promoting quote unquote old music because for an independent artist, your, even if your music was made eight months ago, it's still new to everyone who hasn't heard it yet. So the first thing we do with clients that fit our particular wheelhouse, we do this literally every day, is we say, hey, let's take a song or two that are quote unquote old and let's use those to test an audience. And then we're going to do two things. We're going to find which song seems to resonate the best with not only fans in general, but with Spotify. If Spotify can take a song and say, hey, we think this one might be the one that's scratching the surface of of giving us the data we need to figure out who your target audience is, we're going to test this one in 200 Discover Weekly playlists, maybe. What we do is first we run the experiment to see which song might be the one that resonates the most with Spotify. And two, at the same time, when that data is just being generated, it inherently will tell you, hey, look your most popular city is San Francisco and people who seem to resonate with you the most are 20 to 25. And they also like these three or four artists. Well, now instead of saying, hello, the world fans of pop music or hip hop music, now you can say, well, I have fans here, here and here. They're this old and they like these other people. Let's find a lookalike audience that matches the data that I have. I love that. The more that you can make your data speak to demographics and the more that you can make it granular so you know exactly where to be directing your efforts so you're not just shouting your music into the wind but everything that you're doing is purposeful it's directed to the audience that loves your music the most i love that that makes a lot of sense i'm interested in your client intake process so when a client comes into de novo uh, how do how do they pay you what is the what does the process look like for you know how you work with them and and the benefits you give them So what we, everything we do is based off of month to month. We don't make any of our clients sign any contracts because we realize that contracts are scary for artists and artists don't have attorneys on staff to just send a contract to review it and make sure they're not getting screwed ultimately. So what we do is month to month upfront payments and guarantees on placements. So we guarantee so many placements in such a large audience and to make sure that they get a certain reach. So our strategy is to make sure that every artist can use our services at certain budgets. And it completely depends on the impact that they want. What we first do is when we get something submitted is we review the music to make sure that it's of studio quality and we believe we have an audience that will listen to it and actually attain data from this audience. And then after that, we accept the song and we pitch it to curators that we've partnered with. And through that pitching is where we get playlists and that's when we start collecting the data. And then on all, on all of our month and longer programs, we have a consultation call to go over that data, 
and help every artist form a marketing plan because just getting playlists isn't a marketing plan. We, this, each artist needs to understand how they can use that data and make a plan to target their potential fans. I like that a lot. And I, I, when, when artists often come to me, especially when they're early in their career and they talk about, I need a manager, because that's always a thing, right? I, I need to find that, that magical Sherpa that's going to guide me up music <laughs> industry mountain. And, you know, like, like it's like all those movies, like where the, where, the, where the manager is like sitting in the bar and listens to the girl singing on stage and says, I'm going to take you away from this and make you a star, kid. And that never happens in the real world. And so I, I tend to discourage artists from trying to just find a manager that's going to fast track you up music industry mountain when really they're probably just going to take all your money. And what I try to tell artists to do instead is don't try to find a manager that's going to take 15% and not do anything for you. Find instead companies and organizations and people that do a lot of the services that you expect a manager to do, but do them on like a one-time limited basis where you pay them up front and they have specific deliverables. And then if you want to work with them again, you can work with them again. But if you don't, then it's over and you're not stuck with them. And so I'm glad that there are companies like yours that are popping up in the data analytics space and in the consulting space that seem to have that in mind. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that's sort of what you were thinking when you were envisioning this company. And I'm you know, definitely directing this to James here as a lawyer. Um, I'm always worried about artists getting too deep into management type deals where it's hard for them to get out. Uh, was part of that sort of influencing your thinking when putting this organization together? A hundred percent. That's exactly what my thinking was. Um, if you do the math out, as you know, you're looking at giving up about 30% of your royalties before you ever get a foot off the ground. If you get a manager and an attorney and maybe a distribution deal at that point, the other 50% of your royalties is going towards a producer. If you're a rap artist on standard, so you're looking at maybe getting five to 10% of your own money when it comes to your music. If you sign away everything just in hopes of making it, if you can do the same thing, Without giving up royalties, that's what we encourage everyone to do. Any deal you can get without giving up royalties is better off in the long run. Because if a song does take off, you're not going to be hampered by those by what you gave up before. Well, guy, you're speaking my language now. Good. Uh, glad to finally find a, an entertainment lawyer in this world who I'm copacetic with on this. <laughs> this is great. Um, well, before we get to our final question that we ask all of our guests, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about your new program. Songflower. This is a distribution service, and certainly this is a crowded space, right? There are no shortage of organizations that can distribute your music and put it on all the streaming platforms, and maybe even you know, uh, you know, radio, internet radio platforms, and things like that. What makes Songflower different? Uh, you said um, something interesting there, where there are a lot of players in this space, but the thing is, is they all do the exact same thing. None of them do it any better or worse than their competitor. It is very much a service that is either on or off. The difference is how you pay for it. All of the distributors take some sort of reoccurring payment, whether it's a percentage of equity in your streams or if it's $25 per year for unlimited uploads, but the January 1st, as soon as that comes and you don't pay, they take your music down. So. Maybe when you're 28 making music, it's a lot of fun, but you're 32 and you might be done. You don't necessarily want your music to disappear. You're still paying until the day you die, potentially. So the thing that makes Songflower different is that it will be the first, and as far as I know, the only distribution platform where artists can pay one time 
keep a hundred percent of their royalties and that's that. Well, I, uh, I can definitely appreciate that. And it is an interesting challenge for a lot of artists in the distribution space where you often have to make the choice between letting a distribution service take a piece of uh, your royalties uh, potentially in perpetuity to be able to keep your music on there. Or if you don't get that royalty, you have to pay upfront and then annually. And I've seen a lot of artists who work with one particular major distribution service who I don't want to put on blast here, but I think we all know who they are who do make you pay every year. And, and there'll be a lot of artists who th- maybe they, they put, on, put out a song and then that song eventually goes away in two or three years because you know, it, doesn't earn, it, it doesn't earn enough money for the artist to justify keeping it on that distribution service, even though all your fans lose out because they still want to be able to have access to your full catalog. So I'm glad that your service uh, seems to appreciate that. That's great. And again, you can find out more by visiting Instagram.com slash Songflower, and that's F-L-O-W-R, no E there. And uh, you can check out uh, our guest's company, DeNovo Agency, by going to DeNovoAgency.com. Uh, Elliot, James, this has been awesome. Before we let you go, I want to ask this last question to each of you. We'll have Elliot answer first. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners to help them move their careers forward? Set measurable goals. Making it is not a goal. Set a measurable goal that you can measure progress in. And don't be releasing new music all the time purely for the sake of being new. Remarket what works until you have a fan base that is tired of it. I love it. That makes a lot of sense using those existing resources. And uh, James, can you close us out? Yeah. So what I would say is have a budget. If you had $10,000 to spend on your music in the year, do not go through all $10,000 in a week. You should, the more consistent exposure is more important than blasting everyone once. On average, a person needs about 30 touches to become familiar with you and give you a chance. So if you make that $10,000 stretch over a year, you will reach that 30 number and get more people to listen to your music and potentially become fans. Great insight all around. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting denovoagency.com. That's D-E-N-O-V-O agency.com. Elliot, James, it sounds like you guys are two friends of the indie artists, so we love having you on here. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you guys on again real soon. We'd be happy to be back, and we'll have to have you on our podcast as well. That'd be a hell of a time. Oh, it would be my pleasure. That sounds fantastic. Thank you all for being here, and thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Elliot Townsley from DeNovo Agency. Welcome back to the Business of Music podcast. Thank you for listening. What you just heard was an appearance that James Landry and I had on the Break the Business podcast. So if you enjoyed it, go and throw them a review. If you have more questions about how we help independent artists, please join us at DeNovoAgency.com. And we can tell you how we use data-driven music marketing to grow independent artists. See you soon.